0: Welcome to Changing Academic Life. I'm Geraldine Fitzpatrick, and this is a podcast series where academics and others share their stories, provide ideas and provoke discussions about what we can do individually and collectively to change academic life for the better. We often talk about research impact, But have you ever had someone contact you to say that your research has literally changed their life? Seems to me like that's real impact. And my guest for this podcast episode has had people spontaneously contact her to say exactly this, that her work has changed their life. Dr Marta Cechanato is an assistant professor and senior lecturer in the computer and information sciences department at Northumbria University in the UK. Her research focuses on understanding the complexities of dealing with multiple technologies in our everyday life and developing practical empowering strategies to enable people to take more control over shaping their own digital experiences in support of better health and well-being at work and, and personal lives. She talks about these as micro-boundary management strategies. And She not only has peer-reviewed articles on this research, but she's also packaged up these strategies into a really accessible handbook that you can download from the web and try it for yourself. So this is part one of my extended conversation with Marta. Welcome Marta, I'm really excited to finally get to talk to you because we were just saying we've been trying to uh, do this podcast together for some years but uh, yeah life and pandemic got in the way so it's great that we're finally here. Yeah
1: it's it's great to chat to you again after after a long time.
0: Yeah, Thank you for having me. And um, as I usually start do you want to just introduce yourself uh, by way of background briefly
1: yeah um, so my name is Marta Chekinato, and I say it so that people know how to pronounce my name it's it's usually pronounced as if you check in somewhere um I'm an assistant professor in computer and information sciences at Northumbria University and Athena Swan lead for the department and um yeah I think I, I got into academia a bit randomly i guess my dream was to become a a medical doctor and a psychiatrist and i didn't get into medical school and i think that the the tests in italy um are set up in a way that if you don't get into the city where you want to study it's hard you have to kind of wait another year um, because the dates coincide anyway um so I ended up studying psychology, which felt like the next best thing um,
0: in Italy. This is all in, you Italy. Grew up in Italy in yep.
1: Italy. I grew up in Italy, so I studied in Padova, and um yeah, and then during my master's, I discovered um research. I did a, a module on I think it was social ergonomics, it was called, and I signed up to do an Erasmus at the University of Helsinki in computer science. And absolutely fell in love with research at that point and with HCI. I got the opportunity to work with Giulio yakuchi and Eve Hogan, who I think at the time was a postdoc there. Um, and I published my first paper, which I think was absolutely amazing to do <laughs> during my master's. Um, and I think it was then that I started looking into PhD opportunities. And I always wanted to be in the UK, so I found ucl and actually the phd i ended up doing was advertised uh i think it was advertised like in april maybe that year and i saw it and i was i um, i need to finish my dissertation i need to graduate i'm not going to apply and then it came out again a couple of months later and i was like this is a sign i need to apply and i did um and started my PhD later that year. Um did an internship at Microsoft Research in Cambridge during that time, worked with Abby Sellen, learned loads from her. Um, and then started my lectureship here at Northumbria two weeks before I submitted. Mm. Um, and
0: yeah. Wow. That's it in a nutshell. And that and your PhD at UCL was Working with Anna Cox as your main supervisor. Yes, Yes, so the wonderful Anna Cox.
1: Yeah, so I I did my PhD at the UCL Interaction Centre and on work-life balance. I forgot what the exact title of the ads was at the time. I think it was Mm -hmm. personal informatics and Mm work-life balance in the digital Mm -hmm. age or something. Mm -hmm. And I remember reading the ad and thinking, work-life balance. What is that? <laughs> because there is no term in Italian for work-life balance, really. And, and and I've I've thought about this a lot over the years, and I'm thinking, why is there no term? And I think it's just because maybe it, it's a cultural thing, it's a geography thing. Like it gets really hot, so people tend to stop at lunchtime. They work yeah. in the mornings, work in the afternoons. Um. And like holiday time is sacred, everybody's off in the middle of August, everyone's off during Christmas time, so it's in a way almost already embedded.
0: Mm. But
1: at the same time, I think the working culture is very different from what I've experienced in the UK, and it's you need to prove yourself a lot as mm. well. Um, so yeah, I, I remember thinking of like, oh, okay, like I understood mm. the concept of work life balance, it was just yeah. like something.
0: As common me. sense language, do you mean in terms of each of the words? It, 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 yeah,
1: like it, I, I think it was. I was just struck with the fact that I'd never heard the expression before and I'd ever talked about mm. it, um, even though it's, yeah, I think it's in a way already embedded in in the culture.
0: Do you think it's still the case in Italy that it's not, like is there still no word for it? In in Italian, is it still I, sort I, of a holiday sacrosanct and things like that?
1: Yeah, I I don't think there is a term, and and even during the pandemic, I found it really funny that we talked about in English-speaking countries, we talk about working from home, um, remote working. In Italy, they use the English term "smart working" ah. for to say working from home, and I'm like does that mean where did that come from Mm.
0: um
1: and and I can see how in a way it is smart working because I'm guessing it's reflecting the kind of flexibility but it's not also thinking about all of the negative implications that it might have when you are working in the same place where you're Mm. sleeping and eating and relaxing Mm. um so yeah I think I think it is really interesting how language has um a way of shaping how we think about work and our experiences definitely
0: Definitely. I had never thought about that before because you know the thing about when you're a fish in water you don't know that you're in water um (laughs) as especially as a native English speaker I it's just the language that it is you know it's just the terms that we use and I'd not ever thought about whether there were similar terms in other cultures in other languages and and the interplay of the cultural norms as well as even what you said about the geography and climate and that and how that plays together. I I think it was
1: really interesting because when I spent a year in Finland, um, I had a friend during the Erasmus that said he claimed that cold weather made Finnish people very efficient, buses were never late, everything just worked. And I was like, actually, that maybe makes sense. And it can explain why in Italy things are not as efficient. <laughs> you, um, you need more cold weather. Possibly. The UK seems like a good halfway for <laughs> now. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, that's interesting food for thought. It's, that's very interesting. Um, I'm curious about. What was it in Helsinki that made you fall in love with research? because you know like your face really lit up and you know when you were just reliving that. So what was it exactly about that experience for you as a visiting student that that resulted in that reaction?
1: so so I was doing an Erasmus, and I think you can do, typically you do, you go and do exams and modules in an Erasmus. But as part of my degree, I needed to do an internship. So I had done all my exams. Um, What I was missing was the internships. So I went there just to do that. And I worked as a research assistant um on a project. I was working with a company. So we had the opportunity to kind of. Um, go and speak to the company and set up a a, a study Uh, essentially I was working with another postdoc Um, I was embedded in research meetings and in the group meetings Um, I was even involved in teaching and delivering some of the lectures so it really felt like I was getting the experience of an academic life and I felt Mm -hmm. included and I felt valued and I think it was also the novelty of a new culture um, and having that freedom of being in a different country. And, and, and also I remember this thing of um, talking about working hours and schedules, like people would leave when their job was done. So if they'd finished work at 2 PM, they went home. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, the working day is not finished. You need to stay. And I'm like, and that's where I kind of started to realize actually you need that rest, you need that break and and, and you are going to be more productive if you take that time off and mm. if you take advantage of of that flexibility um and I, I think I just liked everything about working environment mm. um what I didn't like as much was the darkness mm. <laughs> and the cold yeah, yeah. um but apart from that like i I had originally considered like spending longer time in Finland, mm. but um yeah
0: so it was the whole package in a way it wasn't wasn't just yeah. doing the research but the whole culture around it. it it was it was just getting a flavor for that academic life that I'd
1: never really considered and and, and thinking like I had worked I'd worked since I was fourteen as a babysitter I worked in offices sending tickets and stuff but um, it, it was a very different environment, very stimulating. And
0: yeah. yeah. Mm. Now, your research, I don't even know where to start because it's <laughs> so interesting and so relevant, um, you know, to all of us. It's, you know, you talk about picking a research topic that everyone can relate to. So at least those of us who have work-life balance uh, within our vocabulary. Um, so you talk about, you know your work is around digital well-being you know in, in framing your research. Can you just talk about all that a little bit more? Like so you know how did you shift from what was the sort of uh, the research journey in the coming and doing something that was in personal informatics and work-life balance? and and the way you've been able to shape that towards this sort of digital wellbeing agenda?
1: Yeah, so I think it, it started off looking at work-life balance in the digital age and how we manage. Um, commun- com- it was focused on communication practices a lot across different channels, across different devices, because a lot of the research at the time was very focused on smartphones and emails and, like, this one-way way of communicating which doesn't reflect the reality the messiness of of how we talk Mm. to one another um and the more i did this research it was is in the context of work and personal life but it kind of it it involved and it it, it was becoming more of just like work and life and this dichotomy and it's just encompassing our whole experience of, of life um so it was a a few years ago now I organized this workshop at CHI on designing for digital well-being and one of the things that we wanted to get out of that workshop was what do we mean about with digital well-being because it's become this kind of buzzword that we talk about um and I think a lot of people think about it especially if I ask my students they'll say oh it's being addicted to your phones and and having this internalized narrative that phones are bad and social media is bad for us and like everything, there's pros and cons. It's not just black and white. Um, but I see digital well-being as kind of this 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 broader understanding of how we make use of technology in our day-to-day life that can have a positive impact uh, on us, be it work, be it personal life, be it our social lives, and and really thinking about what might be the negative and the the, the potential harmful implications that might come from that. Um, I don't have a specific definition. It's I'm, I'm going on sabbatical <laughs> this semester and one of the things that I want to do as well is kind of really take some time and think about more generally what do we mean by this digital wellbeing concept and what's been done and trying to map out what is out there. Um, because I think it is, it is a bit, It can risk becoming such a broad theme that that it doesn't it's not a helpful construct to an extent Mm. um and i i think there was a there's a a metaphor that was used at that workshop around well in a hospital you have a, a cardiology department you have a pediatrics department you have uh, oncology or, or all sorts mm, of different yeah. wards, um, is digital well-being just one of them? Is it, is it an additional thing or is it something that kind of covers everything? And I think different people will see it either way. Um, but as technology becomes more and more prevalent and becomes this kind of key role in our life, and um, I have a, a PhD student I'm supervising at the moment who's doing stuff around misinformation within family domains like digital well-being in a way fits that as well it's about mm. how does it impact the relationship with your family members how does it impact the information that you're consuming online mm. um but at the same time another phd student who just finished was working on gig economy and platforms and how that's impacting your well-being and your working patterns and and that to an extent is also um affecting how to Technology is, is changing mm. our, our lives. So, yeah, I, I I don't have a definition that I can like just spiel out and
0: mm. and repeat. Um, so, does this mean like do you do you buy into the work life balance as a label and what it entails, or how do you relate to that thing? Um. Mm.
1: Not really. So mm. it's one of the things it, it came out in my vibe as well. It's like, you know, there's this, this idea that if we talk about balance, you have to have this 50-50 split and you can't have 50-50 split. Mm. You might have it at certain points of your life, but it's not, it's not what we're trying to achieve. And even the literature suggests that really what we want to empower people is to give them that control so that they're in charge of when they want to swap between work identity, personal life identity, social identity, or, or mm-hmm. whatnot, and all the different roles that we have in our lives. Um, and yeah, so so when I I use these buzz words, these keywords, um, because it's what people understand and recognize. Yeah. Yeah. And it's again going back to the language, it's that's common lexicon. But it always comes with a caveat of like it's not about having that equal balance between work mm. and life. And as life changes, your responsibilities change, you need to revise things. Mm. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, because everything that you've said points to just sitting there, like work life balance sounds like it needs this neat little packaging up. And, you know, like mm. even being able to say this is in the work box and this is in the life box, um, let alone the balance scales. And you've used language around the messiness and always the pros and cons and the, this sort of, you know, all of these, the ways in which technology is just part of all aspects. And so it sounds like you're happy somehow living or youth that seems to be where the more interesting stuff is is living in you know engaging with that messiness and making sense of it
1: yeah and i think um so one of the things that i really like about my work is the the ability to try to empower people from a bottom up approach to help them really take advantage and make the technology work for them rather than working for the technology Mm. and you know in in a workplace we get given devices or tools or software that we need to make use of but that doesn't mean that we can't make them adapt them and and appropriate them in a way that helps us work better and more efficiently Um, and that's really what I've been trying to, to focus on in, in terms of like in my PhD with this concept of micro boundaries that, mm-hmm. that I developed. Um, and all the strategies that go along. So these, these micro boundary strategies that I've, um, that I've identified and, and highlighted in, a, uh, in a booklet to really help people think about how they're managing their work life, their personal life, whatever aspect of their life it is. It doesn't really matter if it fits in one box or the other.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. The bound micro-boundaries and the strategies and, and the booklet that you've created, and, and I see that you have an updated version of this now as well, Uh I want to thank you for doing that because you've Done this amazing job in packaging the insights from really deep, rigorous research into easy to understand and actionable strategies. And I know that I give that out to my students, my PhD students, um, and courses that we run, I you know, where we might talk about saying yes, no and managing boundaries, it always always point them to it. And you know, I know that it's that. People have found it really, really useful. So, thank you for taking the time and effort to do that because it's not always something that you get, a, I don't know, like an evaluation brownie tick for, do you?
1: Yeah, thank you. Um, I, I think when I was finishing my PhD, I, I was like, oh, this is all great. We're doing, we're um, improving our understanding and expanding knowledge. And I was like, but. What does this do to people? What does it do to the people on the street? Like, can I really make a change? And, um, one thing I'm, I'm sad about is that I have I used to track how many people downloaded the booklet, and then between the messiness of life, mm-hmm. it, it kind of that whatever I was using didn't work, and, and I, I've lost that ability. And so, I feel like now if I start doing it, well, I've got a big gap of data that's missing, but mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter like to an extent from a university perspective from a ref perspective this exercise we have in the uk to be able to show that impact to show look how many people across the world have downloaded this play, has found it i'm hoping useful um i've received emails from people that have done your courses saying thank you very much this has changed my life so it's very flattering and 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 humbling in a way Mm. um but I also think actually what I really want to do is just help people
0: and if I can't write an impact case study for the ref, well, so be it. Um, I know that one of my students in particular contacted you and just said thanks and it's changed his life. And the fact that he even would do that shows that there's a significant impact. And that's interesting yeah. when you said that, you know, in the beginning you wanted to do be a medical doctor and do psychiatry. Do you see a red thread between what you wanted to do there and where you've ended up now? Um, yeah,
1: definitely. I think th- there's definitely a red thread around well-being, mm. um, and it's interesting because by I, I wanted to be a medical doctor and psychiatrist. I did my bachelor's in psychology, but I did, my thesis was on medical humanities, and really the the education that doctors and nurses go through or don't go through around really humanizing the the relationship with patients and um, creating that well-being kind of experience, right, Um, when delivering potentially negative um, news. Um, And then I was a volunteer paramedic as well during my master's, um, so that kind of fulfilled my medical degree,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: desire but again it was still helping people improving their well-being in a way and then it went more towards digital life and improving life and well-being in the digital life um and that is and i think now especially in the last couple of years i don't know if it's been a, a a reflection of the pandemic of becoming a parent or what um or other things but I have this strong sense of importance towards equality and diversity and inclusiveness and and that very much to me is part of well-being mm-hmm. and making sure that a working environment um, just because a lot of my work has been around the workplace um, but it doesn't have to be just that does support EDI issues and matters, mm. and and is inclusive and celebrates diversity. Absolutely benefits everyone's well being. Um, yeah, and I think that is that is a way that in which if we think about how technology is changing and affecting us, we need to think more carefully about how it's impacting EDI matters. And yeah.
0: Mm. It's always fascinating the way like, regardless of the labels that we have on what we're doing, whether it's a career path choice, you know, the medical doctor versus the PhD student in in the you know an HCI area, or dealing with diversity, we orient where our true interests lie or what really drives us, what we care about. And you've just demonstrated that beautifully, and that you know, even within EDI initiatives it's very much the well-being lens that that drives you in that um and motivates the work there
1: yeah and i think if i had planned it i don't think it would ever had happened like this it's no. just kind of it's a bit organic and and depending on like how life unfolds and again mm. that messiness kind of you find new ways of of making things fit
0: and mm. making creating meaning i guess yeah and connecting to what you care about or what drives you
1: And and I think that that's important. And it's one of the things that I think sometimes is missing in universities. I don't know where I see that sometimes a role is given to someone because of their job title rather Mm. than their skills or their passion. And, And I think that's what I would like to see a change in and yeah. really take advantage um and I, I was listening to Ashling's podcast and I think she she explained that beautifully as well like really taking advantage of people who are passionate about something even if they're more junior or don't have that job title why not let give them that opportunity why not take advantage because it will create a better experience for yeah. everyone yeah. Um, and support EDI in a way yeah
0: And the literature also talks about it, you know, the well being impacts for the people as well when you're doing stuff that connects to what brings you alive and what you care about. So, yeah. yeah, So, well being is such a holistic, multifaceted concept, isn't it? You know, because you've just demonstrated the way it can play out in how we use a digital device to how we choose to approach a role we've been given to, you know, all sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah. In the, um going back to what you said about the work that you've done defining micro boundaries and strategies for <laughs> doing that, can you just quickly define what you mean by a micro boundary and give a couple of examples of strategies that um, would illustrate that yeah. in practice?
1: Um I did come up with a definition for it, which is in one of my papers. I, I haven't memorized it, but the idea is that um we know from literature that we have different roles in our lives. And prior people have academics have have talked about these micro role transitions. So, within my day to day life, I'm a parent, I'm a wife, I'm a colleague, a friend, etc. And you swap between all these roles throughout the day. And the way we use technology is different depending on the roles that we are um, embodying in that specific moment. But at the same time, technology can then suddenly disrupt us from one role and take us into the other role. Say I'm at work, I get a phone call from my child's nursery. I suddenly become a parent I need to panic about that issue. Um, so micro boundaries are strategies that help limit the negative impact that might arise um, from these constant micro role transitions throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And... The way they they do it is by giving users more control within the context of what's available within an application. So a, a very easy example that I often give is um, I know a lot of people merge work and personal emails into the same inbox, um, but actually separating them out can help because then I can decide, well, I don't want to see my work emails at the weekend when I'm doing, I don't know, a return for a pair of shoes. I bought. Um, it could be even deleting a work email app from your phone and having to go on the browser and adding a bit of that friction to actually type out the web address, the email address, the password, maybe do two factor authentication or whatever. And, and really, adding that time so that I'm forced to think, is this really what I want to be doing? Mm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and and it's not stopping people from doing it. It's not preventing them. It's not saying, oh, if you do it, you're bad. It's, it's just saying, okay, if this is something that's important to you to have a bit of separation in certain moments, then here are certain strategies that you can put in place. And and some of them are automatic, almost kind of a set and forget. You maybe tweak your notification settings to only be notified within certain hours. Um, And others are more kind of in the moment settings that that need to be changed. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think going back to something I said earlier, I think one of the key points of micro boundaries is that they're obviously not a one size fits all solution but they're not a one size fits all solution for the single person either like your life circumstances change you need to revise them i've i've um i was telling my husband the other day i've reached a point where the way I've, i go through my inbox is no longer sustainable and my the micro boundaries i'd set up don't work and so again on my sabbatical my to do list is find a new effective strategy to deal with work email. Um because because I get more emails, because I'm more senior, I have more roles, um it it changes and and Mm. it needs to adapt. And it's about being true to yourself and thinking, okay, I need to dedicate this time. This is important. It is part of my job to spend, don't have to spend a lot of time, an hour or two just thinking, okay, what do I want to achieve? What is important to me this year, this month? what's
0: my goal so the ability to actually pause um and reflect seems to be key a, a key necessary first step to a lot of what you've talked about you know because you talked about you know caring about empowering people and giving them control and it also needs that first step of being reflective yeah. about what is going to be a positive for you or what is currently negative that you want to change and that you do want to exert that control with. Yeah. Do you have any, are you just naturally very reflective that you you realise that or are there particular strategies for supporting that sort of periodic reflection about how's it going, what's working, what's not?
1: Um, I don't know if I am a naturally reflective person. I think I've done lots of years of therapy that maybe has helped but um, I, I think when I when I find things that are very overwhelming, it, it's getting to the point where things are no longer manageable. I know, and I know it because I've done it through through time. And, and initially, I think I needed to have that external push. So Anna Cox, my my PhD supervisor, was really good during my PhD. at Different points to say, stop. You need a break um you're off you're off. I'm telling you now you're on leave for the rest of the week mm-hmm. and, and and taking that time to kind of stop and then reflect um or maybe having a chat I, I remember the last year of my PhD I was panicking I was like what am I going to do how am I going to finish and like everything I think everything that everyone feels at the end of their PhD was like coming crushing down on me and she was like okay how many hours do you need? Three hours, four hours enough? And we just sat down and we just chatted. And I had this massive spreadsheet and and I kind of ignored it all. And it was just kind of having that time to talk and reflect. But I think it started with having people around me that, A, recognized that this is important
0: mm-hmm.
1: and B, enabled it. And that gave me the tool and the practice and the experience mm-hmm. to then continue to do it on my own.
0: Mm. Yeah. So important and so wonderful to have colleagues like that in a culture that where someone isn't telling you to work hard or work the weekends, but to actually take the week off, rest of the week off, because you yeah. need it. Yeah, yeah. Um, with with the strategies that you talked about, is there any more you want to say about that? Yeah, you know, in terms of I don't know different, for just to, um, and. Give people a taster for what they might find, say, in the handbook or you know, the types, the broad types of strategies <laughs> they might use. Because it um, that sounds like one of the sort of social strategies <laughs> that could be useful. Um,
1: yeah, there's the stuff around time management, um, notification management, communication management, expectation management, which I think is is a really, really key, important one mm-hmm. um, because I can do as much as I want in changing my own settings but if there is no ex- if there is a different expectation then it's almost pointless. I remember a participant was telling me she worked in in banking and she was like you know I can try to not check my emails and everything but all my colleagues are trying to reach it's it's a race to the top and and they're working long hours because they want to be shown that they're working hard and and doing all this. So if I put these boundaries I'm just harming myself and and again it comes from that kind of setting the expectation setting the culture norms mm-hmm. um and to an extent there is only so much you can do as an individual um some of it needs to come top down like mm-hmm. i said having colleagues and people that enable that reflection enable certain behaviors um some of it might need to come from the technology side, in terms of being able to have that freedom and flexibility Mm -hmm. to tweak settings and and features. Um, but And some coming
0: from yourself in terms of communicating what your own boundaries are or, you know, in setting, trying to manage expectations to the extent that you can, given the other constraints you talked about, like culture. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely put a link to the handbook in yeah. the, in the notes on the on the web page. Um how, you know, you talked about setting the culture and you and having more responsibility in your own role in that. How has all of this insight and knowledge practically impacted the way you've set up your group and what you're trying to do in establishing the culture there? And this is where we'll leave it for part one and pick up from here in part two of my conversation with Marta. Hopefully you're curious now to also try out some of these strategies and we will go and download the Digital Wellbeing Handbook that's linked in the show notes on the web page. I know that I share this as a resource to participants in many of the workshops we've run and also point the PhD students in the Survive to Thrive course that I teach it to you to the handbook And I I can confirm the feedback that people find these strategies here so useful. And hopefully you will too. And hopefully you'll come back for more of my conversation with Marta as we continue in part two that will be coming out next. You can find the summary notes, transcript and related links for this podcast on www.changingacademiclife.com. You can also subscribe to Changing Academic Life on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And you can follow Change Acad Life on Twitter. And I'm really hoping that we can widen the conversation about how we can do academia differently. And you can contribute to this by rating the podcast and also giving feedback. And if something connected with you, please consider sharing this podcast with your colleagues. Together we can make change happen.